Tacky Talk Time, State Representative Tacky Chan of Quincy is joining us for our first Tacky Talk of October 2023, Tacky. Hey, no, good to see you, Joe. Uh, and uh, who knew it's October already and it's a beautiful day this Thursday, actually, Thursday, October 5th. Yeah, we're actually having, you know, summertime and fall, which is fine with me. <laughs> well, it's very much New England, right? You know, we can't figure what's going to happen next. And uh, actually, as you all know, I'm home to today to do this call. And uh, the windows are open and we're venting out the house. Yeah, it's, it's a great time to do that because it's all going to fall off the cliff soon, I'm sure. <laughs> There's yet another tropical storm that's going to miss us by like a couple of hundred miles off the coast. But, you know, it's big enough to bring us rain this weekend is what it looks like. Unfortunately, yeah, here we go again these weekends. It's so hard for some of these local organizations um, to, to get their events in because they've been rained out time and time again. Oh, yes. And also yard work. I mean, uh, I'm not immune to the whole, you know, try to get stuffed on weekends when I can. And um, yeah, I mean, people's grass is going to grow like mad uh, this weekend. And you're trying to get, you know, your personal life done. You're obviously right too. People are trying to get into birthdays and celebrations and fundraisers and, you know, PTO events. And like Marymount beach has been trying to do outdoor events every Friday and Saturday all summer. It's been constantly postponed. Um, and of course, you know, COVID is on the rise as we all have now heard from many friends, including myself. It was like, I heard some six people in 10 days getting it. And, um, you know, and I think uh, it would be wise of folks to uh, consider uh, reducing their indoor events in large crowds this winter and then, you know, uh, maybe postpone some of those events in spring, which is what I saw uh, this year. A lot of things I normally would see in months of November and December, there'll be indoor events got moved into like March. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Well, yeah, there's there's definitely been an uptick for sure, but the new boosters are available. Folks should look into that um, for sure. And it's flu season, too, so you can get both of them at the same time. Yeah. Um, you know, again, you all know I strongly encourage vaccinations. Uh, do it at your you know, own time, but, you know, I would suggest sooner than later. I'm aware there's a distribution problem. Uh, it's not the manufacturer. There's plenty of vaccines en route. It's just getting them to the pharmacies, the medical uh, centers uh, in a timely manner and orderly manner. This sounds very familiar like we did in 2021, where it was just like this orderly movement and stuff. You figured, figured this out by now. But you, know, you can uh, go online on your CVS app, Walgreens app, go onto the internet. Um, you can sign up for times and try to block in. There have been suggestions you do multiple times because even the pharmacies know that you know, when they run out, you know, they either have to contact you or they just don't don't have time to contact you and they just kind of move from block to block to block. Um, and, you know, one suggestion is you could try to go to some smaller communities. I mean, Quincy is a you know, pretty big city in Massachusetts. So if you're not if you're willing to make, you know, a drive out, you can try a few of the smaller communities um, to get your COVID shot. Flu shots aren't a problem and shingle shots aren't a problem and RSVP shots uh, for those who are older. You know, strongly encouraged to get those, but um, you can do it together. But I would suggest you probably should take them in severance over a different time period to reduce the impact on your body. I'm sorry, reduce the impact on your body. Yeah, absolutely. Good, good advice for sure. Um, so since last we talked, it's been a couple of weeks. Um, we have a new tax relief bill in place. Yeah, uh, they gave us a six-page uh, fact sheet uh, as part of this, and it's a very substantive uh, tax relief bill. I've never seen one that does this much at one time. Uh, and uh, personally speaking, people ask, I mean, I'm very happy that this really helps people in the city of Quincy. Um, you know, my constituents should uh, benefit from everything in here, and I've been fighting for years on Beacon Hill to provide tax credits for uh, people with kids as well as uh, people who take care of dependents, mostly senior citizens as a person who takes care of his mom. You know, I'm very familiar with that. Um, so, you know, we actually, that's a big one. We combined a child and dependent tax credit into one unit. So it's not separate. We left the cap on only allowing two people to qualify, for you to qualify for a credit. And we raised the credit to um, $310 uh, per child, and, uh, child dependent each. Um, and then in a second year, it goes up to $440 per dependent. And on top of that, you know, uh, yeah, I'm reading this because it's a lot. Um, it, there's also the senior circuit tax break. We talk about this uh, every spring that we encourage people over age 65 and over to apply for the senior circuit tax break. And it gives you a, 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 a tax credit on your tax property taxes and your water bill. And if you're a renter, 
Um, obviously, you can't qualify if you in subsidized housing, but uh, also you can't qualify if your claim is a dependent. So take a guy from who has a dependent adult. Uh, you have to pick one or the other. Either I receive a tax benefit or my mom will get uh, the senior circuit tax break uh, at $2,400. My mom makes out pretty well. So definitely consult your accountant uh, or your tax advisor um, as you you know go into next year because this stuff is going to um, actually a lot of this stuff takes effect uh, in 2022 tax year. Yeah, it's that one in particular is really worth looking into. My mom also benefited from it for for several years, and it makes a difference for sure. The senior circuit breaker tax credit, so definitely look into that. Yeah, and this is the state helping provide some tax relief on property taxes. Obviously, I don't get to vote your property taxes. That's the mayor's city accounts function, and uh, even on a prop two and a half, which is more complicated formally than it sounds. You know, uh, the uh, impact of higher assessed value property. You know, even though that there's a cap on how much revenue a city and town can generate, you know, is offset, you know, is lost because of your high valuations. So, you know, this is an incredible thing uh, that the legislature has provided and it's been ongoing. God, I remember when this came into effect when I worked with Mike Morrissey. It was a big Tommy Birmingham initiative uh, when he was Senate president. So that in the senior citizen uh, prescription assistance program was another thing that came into effect not long after this one as well. So again, oh, there's another one. Uh, definitely uh, look in the state senior citizen prescription assistance program. My mom is on that program also. Uh, another program I encourage everyone who's never heard before just Google up Massachusetts senior citizen prescription assistance, and you know there's an application there, and it can provide you some, um, you know, your mom and dad or yourself some assistance on on, on uh, prescription medicine. So, but yeah, we can go through, I don't think we want to go through everything on this list, but you're welcome to pick and choose some stuff you want to talk about. Well, I, I think the things that impact people the most would be uh, the changes in the uh, estate tax and the short-term capital gains tax. Yeah, you all heard last year you know, that we the estate tax in Massachusetts is archaic and regressive. You know, the estate tax uh, basically allowed you a deductible up to the first million dollars in the property, but if you go over $1 million, the entire $1 million is taxed plus everything over $1. That is archaic and regressive. So the new law, uh, the governor signed, uh, raises the cap to $2 million deductible. And there is no uh, cliff effect or a regressive tax uh, that will bill you for the whole $2 million plus $1. It's only after the first dollar, after the $2 million, uh, that you, your taxes, a state tax will impact. And you know, frankly, that won't impact a lot of folks. I mean, the biggest asset most people have is their home. Um, the home is the uh, rising valuation. I don't have to tell you guys this. You know, we're very aware of the rising valuations. Uh, and it's not inconceivable, you know, maybe in a decade, you know, your home's will pass the million dollar variation, uh, valuation. So, you know, if you leave something to your children or other people in your life uh, involving the house as part of your estate, you know, that that's, that's taxation is pretty severe. So right. hopefully uh, $2 million will uh, predominantly help, uh, you know, working class folks, middle income folks, and, uh, you know, let's be honest, people with a ton of money, uh, they're well past $2 million state value. Oh, for sure. I mean, you look at what houses are selling for just in Quincy. I mean, <laughs> 500000 doesn't get you much anymore. Yeah, exactly. And there's like this rule out there that's been around for a long time, which I don't think really applies anymore, that if you want to have a healthy retirement, you must have a million dollars in savings somehow, uh, whether it be your home plus cash or uh, other assets like, you know, a pension or Roth IRA or IRA or 457, 401k, 403bs, or or the fact that you just invest in the stock market independently or in bonds. I mean, there's always been this advice for many years, any million dollars to retire. And I think that's far too low. I think you have to have a man, more than a million dollars to have an annuity, including your own personal property. I mean, at all combined. Um, and the state tax moving up to $2 million. I mean, let's be honest, but people are going to have to figure out how to you know, sock away um, a lot more money in the next decade, uh, as we all discovered through inflation. So, uh, you know, God forbid you pass early, uh, but you're sitting on like a man $5 total estate, meaning you know, everything you own value. And, uh, you know, this will, you know, help out, you know, perhaps your your wife or your husband or your know, other loved one that you leave your property behind who per hopefully will have, you know, and I hope they have a long life after, you know, God forbid something tragic happens to you. So yeah, this scenario is, I think, overlooked by certain individuals who like, this is a windfall for the rich. I mean, it's not, you know, this is a real situation. I get very frustrated folks, you know, as you all hear over and over again, but, you know, 
getting these emails or whatnot. And they don't really think about real life. They just get some sound bites. We hate rich people and this is bad. I'm like, let's back up a second. <laughs> you know, what kind of financial planning advice did you get as a young person about what you should be thinking about, you know, 40 years uh, from now, so to speak? Um, and, you know, what I'm talking about, this is real life. This is you and me and, and uh, you know, our constituencies um, that we work for. And uh, I'm not oblivious to that. Well, I mean, in fact, the governor wanted to make it $3 million, I believe, but there was a compromise. Agreed. Uh, you know, Governor Kyle was trying to see foresee, foresee far in the future. But as you guys all have figured out, not everyone walks out happy. Uh, you're trying to get something done. And I still believe that $2 million is, is a good medium uh, space to be in. I mean, we, you know, again, this could change in the future. Mm -hmm. Probably won't be around, I hope, and doing this job by then. But, you know, some point in the future, um, you know, there'll be a reevaluation like they do all the time. Except this was particularly egregious. The state tax has been like this for so long and not reevaluated by past legislatures. You know, and being a guy that's been watching this place forever, it feels like, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I was even shocked when I found out about this. And, you know, again, I don't know everything, folks, but, you know, even I was like, when I first heard it, I was like, this is ridiculous. Right. Yeah. Um, and another, you know, kind of going along with that same venue is the short term capital gains tax, right? Yeah, we compromise this out too. I mean, it comes up to 8.5%, you know, from 12%, but it doesn't yeah. go to 5%, which is what the governor and the uh, House wanted to do. Again, we split the difference. Pretty pretty obvious what happened there. Um, and But also remind folks, I mean, you know, during COVID, people were playing the market. <laughs> I mean, uh, people had nothing to do, but learn how to use Robinhood and other apps and open brokerage accounts. And uh, anybody can do it. It's so easy. Uh, do I encourage you to do this blindly? Absolutely not. You probably should get some professional advice or you're going to have to read a lot of books. That's right. Or watch a lot of YouTube videos. <laughs> exactly. But the Fed Reserve you know, statistics show that you know, close to half the population in the United States has money invested in the market in one form or another. You know, some are deferred, some are retirement. But you know, people also put a little bit aside just to you know, invest in Microsoft, for example. I mean, there's plenty of folks that hear stories. Uh, actually, the WGBH guys, the guys who donated the money to WGBH was playing the market, for example. Oh, no kidding. Yeah, there's a story about those two brothers who donated all like $10 million of their Oh, money. yes. Yep. They were playing the stock market the whole time. Interesting. I mean, and they're not rich people. They started off saving money as young men. Right, right. And, uh, they discovered you know, they enjoyed the stock market, and they were just building wealth over the course of the whole lifetime to $10 million. Yeah. Well, I mean, years ago that you invested in blue chip companies, right? So, uh, GM, IBM, all the, all the mainstays, Coca-Cola, stuff like that. Yeah. And the blue chips have changed, right? Today, you know, it's Microsoft, it's uh, Facebook slash Meta. Uh, you have people investing in NVIDIA, which if you, you know, watch the news is all over the place and the blue chips do change, right? But Kellogg's is still here, right? Coca-Cola is still here, right? McDonald's is here. And yeah, these guys figured out, you know, just a little bit of money at a time over their lifetimes. Uh, they were able to amass um, a good amount of money. They're not, uh, you know, CEOs of big companies. They're not preying on uh, working class folks. Bernie so, Madoff's of the world, yeah, I know. <laughs> exactly. They're just two dudes that, you know, were smart enough to figure this out. And they you know, and they did incremental savings. Not like they dumped, like, you know, the entire life in the year one. They right. just put it at a time. And this is what happened. So smart investing and diligence. So, you know, that's one example. I'm sure it's not the best example in many ways, because not everybody's going to generate $10 million in, in stock income. But, you know, this is the world we live in today. It's not this image they like to portray, you know, of, you know, people living in super wealthy communities getting windfall. This affects you at home. This is going to affect your children and most likely your grandchildren as well, because wealth generation uh, is more accessible than ever regarding markets, as well as, you know, bonds and uh, other types of equities. Yeah. One thing that was changed, I wonder if you could explain, Tacky, is the change to the uh, the Chapter 62F um, tax rebate. Yeah, that is needlessly complicated to explain. I know, I know. <laughs> so but you, you do such a good job. I'm sure you can do it. Let's see if I can. We okay. do a lot here, don't we? So the current law, um, well, the prior law now, uh, gave you um, a tax refund, a tax credit, if, if the total wages exceed total taxes collected. The keyword's total. So you take all the wages collected that are generated in one year, and if that number is bigger than the total taxes collected in one year, 
The difference between the two is given back to taxpayers in the form of a tax credit. And your share of that amount is directly relationship to the proportional amount of taxes you pay. So the more you pay in taxes, the larger portion of that difference is given to you. The less you pay, the less you get. This is a very interesting tax policy because if you look in the law, deductibles, for example, the standard deduction applies to everyone equally. Right? It doesn't matter how much money you can choose to take or not take the standard deduction depending on your tax situation regarding deductibles. So what we did was follow the same idea uh, in the legislature. So we uh, now have the 60F equal share to everyone regardless of income status. So if let's say there's a million dollars in 60F um, uh, tax credits available, then everybody in the state who's a taxpayer gets an equal share of that million dollars. Under the prior law, the ones with the highest tax burdens will get more of the million dollar example I provided, leaving the majority of us uh, who pay a lower tax burden far, far less. And the ones who need it the most are the ones at the lower tax burden, not the highest tax burden, because there's a reason why you're at a higher tax burden. Um, and I'm aware there are plenty of accountants and tax advisors that provide very good advice of how to um, maximize your um, tax benefits to try to reduce your tax burden. But the key word is tax burden, not taxes paid. Okay. So what does this mean in the end? It means that uh, if you wrote to me opposing this and you make less than like a quarter man or half a man dollars a year, you win and you are fighting me on it. If you a uh, person who, you know, makes a whole lot of money, well, you probably don't need that much money back. But people say it's an equity issue. Yeah, I get it. But, you know, equitable for whom? Right. right, And this is, again, most of us who, uh, oddly enough, including myself, you know, are on a standard deduction. I do not have uh, ability to create all this tax uh, schedule A uh, deductions to lower my overall tax burden. Uh, individuals who have greater means have the ability to afford people mm-hmm. to use their tax burden of what they actually pay. The, not the payment of taxes, not the burden of taxes. So what they pay in taxes gets lower because of the means to figure it out. Um, and some of us don't have a whole lot, take the standard deduction. So we treat everyone equally and they will equally benefit. Yeah. So I suspect that if this should happen, which happens like it's like hitting hitting the mega millions, it sounds like, because it's so rare. Um, you know, people in the middle class uh, that pay taxes in particular that benefit the most. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's a good explanation. You did it. I knew you could do it. <laughs> <laughs> You'd be surprised the emails I get from folks, and I'm looking at the where they live. I'm like, huh? So basically, you're telling me that you don't want to make out in this. Yeah. Well, I mean, like you said, you get it. You know that they should get they should get back what they paid in, right? If they paid more, they should get back more. Um, but the way you explain it to cut it cut it evenly, um, you know, just kind of levels the playing field. Absolutely, and it's, it's not different from other tax policy we have. I mean, the deductions are equal benefit. You know, the senior circuit breaker we talked about has a uh, a formula, but essentially creates equal benefit playing field for all taxpayers. Same thing with deductions about the uh, children and um, uh, uh, dependent deduction we just talked about earlier. Again, it's a flat rate. It's equal. doesn't matter who you are, where you are in the tax uh, uh, scale. You can do that. And again, we're a flat tax state. We're not the feds. You pay a 5% flat tax on income. So uh, because it's not graduated and it's flat, a flat tax, and you have a large ability to deduct, big surprise, your ability to um, reduce your tax burden shrinks, and then your actual tax payment is much lower. Right. But you have sufficient um, means and whatnot to get a good tax um, accountant uh, advisor to navigate you through the tax code. Seeing so as we talk about money, uh, let's talk about a uh, new piece of legislation regarding uh, pay equity. Yeah, um, we passed a bill in the House that's on its way to the Senate. Uh, paperwork should be there today in the Senate to uh, require all employers that have 25 or more people to uh, honestly publish how much they're going to pay you if, for that job as opposed to putting nothing on there. And you're surprised when you show up and you're wasting your time because you're going to be underpaid by 20%. And I'm sure some of you actually know what I'm talking about, right? That that blank space, right? And uh, part of this reason is is because of what we did regarding wage equity for uh, gender uh, 
equal pay for equal work in, in, with men and women, right? And we know that there's a significant gap between men and women going to earning capacity. Well, this is a, actually the next step in this. Uh, and what it does is that it, you know, tells has employers tell people, this is what you're going to get paid. And uh, this is what I'll pay. And it creates a uh, equal playing field of knowledge of people seeking jobs to ensure that they're getting paid what they're worth in the competitive marketplace. And it uh, gives employer, uh, workers a chance to try to figure out, you know, what they are valued in the marketplace. And by the way, you don't realize this. There is no law that prevents you from talking about your salary. People are very shy about it. It's a huge kind of like taboo in American culture. It really is. So you think about it. But there's no um, reason why you can't share that information, to be perfect. Honest, whether an employee shares it with, with their employees or employees talking among themselves. But it's like a weird taboo. Uh, you have to give it a little bit thought, you know, uh, right. Um, but there's no law that says you can't do that. All we're doing is requiring that you should do it as an employer. And, uh, you know, particularly uh, women uh, and people of color are largely disparaged uh, in the workplace regarding equal pay regarding uh, male uh, counterparts. Yeah, particularly um, AAPI women, right? Absolutely. Uh, you know, there's been more than one study out that, you know, beyond just uh, Black and Latinos, uh, AAPI uh, has to work uh, three more months per year to even try to achieve the same uh, salary level as a white male. Uh, and uh, you go into uh, data disaggregation, my favorite data, data equity issue, uh, uh, certain marginalized populations such as the Hmong and Nepalese uh, and many Cambodians and many others actually even face a either wider gap. And uh, you all know, duh, I'm chair of the House Asian Caucus these days. Uh, but it was also important as part of the conversation. And uh, I was a little surprised a little bit by yesterday's debate that no one brought it up, given the fact that you know, it's part of the research committee. But you know, be as it may, uh, you, know, you know, I'm aware of it. And now you're all aware of the, the fact that AIPI uh, is largely marginalized uh, in pay equity, uh, especially women. And this will help as part of equal pay for equal work, plus greater disclosure of the pay structure, uh, you know, will help people make better decisions and fight for a stronger salary. Or you go walk with your pocketbook because you want a better paycheck and you definitely should. No, I mean, I think of it, you know, you hire a contractor to do work in your house. You get a contract, you get a you get a set price, you know what you're going to pay for the work that you're going to receive. Why should it be different? You're in a, basically a contract with an employer, right? Well, it's like, yeah, right. It's an RFP, right? You want a contract, your advice, your advice is always get three bids unless, you know, you got a buddy that really like promises ain't going to go bad on you. But, you know, you get three bids and, you know, you should get that. Same thing in employment. You should always try to get the best value for your for your dollar. Uh uh, you know, we talked a little bit earlier about, you know, saving for the future, you know, hopefully towards a retirement. Uh, you know, that's just part of, that should be part of your calculation life. And uh, if you're doing identical work or near identical work in two different places and paying you a different wage, the question is why? Right. You're being undervalued. Um, and I, uh, again, I've been in government my whole life. Uh, so, and I got a pay structure that is kind of weird because um, in the legislature, there's no such thing as equal pay for equal work. We all got equal pay. Uh, but, you know, you get equal pay more if you're a chairman because your workload goes up. Yeah. Uh, but don't even start me about the, that takes like a whole hour to explain the, the chairman pay structure. Um, but, you know, we're tied to the medium house income of Massachusetts regarding our base pay. So when medium house income goes up, uh, we go up. When it goes down, we go up, down. And I remind folks, I've gone down twice and level funded. So for six years or three terms, I was losing money. <laughs> but you love your job so much, Tacky, that you stuck with it. <laughs> yes, uh, I have. And uh, obviously, I got a lot of flack for the last adjustment because uh, wage inflation happened. And the medium house, co medium house income also went up with wage inflation. And my pay went up with wage inflation. Uh, but I expect that will end at some point and uh, there will be a deflation. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's, it's, it's very hard to plan, I'm sure, when uh, you're subject to the whims of the economy. Uh, yeah, uh, uh, it, it's uh, it's every two years fixed pay rate, as I like to say. And yeah, we're subject to wins of the economy. So, you know, uh, I'm not wishing a recession. I'm not wishing anyone to lose their jobs. I'm not wishing you all to lose any money either. Uh, but, you know, when you lose, I lose. When you win, I win. Yeah, it's, it's and it's similar to, you know, employer-employee relationship, right? If your company's profitable, um, the thought is that that will transfer to the employees. Mm, and you see that now with the massive union organization around the country, right? 
I mean, um, I know the economy has been all over the place. It has been very peculiar the last three years. But, you know, certain multinationals and even domestic companies uh, have done pretty well in that mm-hmm. kind of period. And um, union workers were not getting the share of it because the contract was still in effect until the contract ended. They can't collectively bargain for a new contract, right? Right. So now that they're in a new collective bar- collective bargaining situation, um, they want to get the benefits that was received by uh, management uh, regarding the pay benefits, uh, as well as shareholders of stock. And they actually should. Um, you know, the, the our, our UAW strike, the thing's mm-hmm. going to go on for a while. The screen, screen I'm sorry, the screen, screen Actors Guild, after, SAG-AFTRA, got an email today. They're going to continue conversations tomorrow, negotiation of the writer's strike is pretty much over. Uh, they're waiting for ratification, I believe, for the writer's component. I haven't looked at my email on that. That's later. right. Although they are back to work, but yeah, it's yeah, just, just a formality. Yeah, It's a formality at this point. And, uh, you know, we've seen unionization efforts regarding, you know, Starbucks and their locations. Again, I mean, companies in particular, they're making a lot of money. And uh, the ability to, you know, share back in those profits, um, you know, is pretty important. So, you know, we'll see, we'll see how it all plays out. But um, uh, you know, low unemployment, strong economy, generally benefits workers. Yeah. Uh, can talk a little bit about, I'm sure you're familiar with that proposal to raise the age uh, for juvenile offenders. I think it's, is it 17 now? Make it 18, something like that. Um, yeah, this is always like an interesting debate because, you know, what is the logic between, why you make one age one thing another, like the drinking age versus the smoking age versus the age you get drafted versus the age of flow, right? You know, all this stuff um, is done in a vacuum from each other. Like people always make these arguments that don't make sense to me because the decision of the age to vote had absolutely nothing of the conversation of the decision on the drinking age, which has nothing to conversation of when you were drafted in the military, when the draft was in effect, right? People tend to correlate these things as one issue under the concept of policy was created as a uniform conversation. They're not. It was made in different decades and sometimes centuries. Right. Different. It's like the marrying age, right? We actually changed the marrying age to 18, which we had no marrying age, which may probably made sense 200 years ago, but not today, right? So it shocked me actually when I found out about that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Same here. Uh, same principle regarding juvenile uh, age, um, right? You know, what is a juvenile uh, and how do you determine that is what we look at the science and medicine today versus what we saw. 50 or 100 years ago. And this is kind of a, I'm not sure what the answer is uh, because this is no. not, not my wheelhouse, folks. It's it's interesting. and It'll be talked about. I'm sure it won't be changed right away, but I'm sure it'll be talked about a lot. I think it will because, I mean, I, I tell folks, I mean, more, more people have a chance to have higher education. In some ways, that kind of extends your uh, time before going to the workforce, right? You know, there was a time when most of us couldn't get to age 40. Now people are approaching age 80, right? It's it's a constantly moving target. People think in the present. This is kind of where we're designed, right? But you never think about what it was before and how come it is today. This juvenile age conversation, again, is that part of that conversation about what we know today versus yesterday, but also the totality of the conversation of where we are in society today, not just, you know, morals and um, ethics, but also reality of how long we live, you know, yeah. you know uh, what is a working age? Like, I believe 16, eight, 16 years old is still working age. I believe system. that's right. Yeah. Yeah. But you're, I believe uh, still 18 is the age of um, independence. Yes. Yeah. You know, you, you're considered an adult under law and, you know, go at it, but you still can't drink till you're 21. Right. Yeah. You can drive a car at 16 and a half. But you can't rent one until you're 25. <laughs> yeah, people, I'm not saying this stuff makes sense, right? And uh, I, I always get frustrated when people try to correlate all these things together that really have nothing to do with each other. Right. Yeah, it's interesting. Stay tuned on that one. Stay tuned. I can't claim I'm a genius or very knowledgeable that matter. But again, this is part, I just pretty much described the policy concepts regarding age, and it's not... Um, uh, nothing one does not have to do with the other. There is no relationship. Let's talk about Washington politics, Jackie. There's been a few things going on there since last we talked, like the removal of the Speaker of the House. Well, I mean, uh, remove a Speaker of the House for non criminal reasons, right? There was no uh, malfeasance, criminal act, 
uh, inappropriate behavior, none of that this time. Um, and it's very rare. Most speakers resign if they're under some kind of scandal, right? Uh, this one is not. This one is just... No, I think it's been like 100 years since it happened, more than that even. Yeah, and there's like... Yeah, people like I had my family once on Zoom class. Why would McCarthy want this job? And I'm like, when you work that hard to try to get there, it's hard not to take it. Yeah, because it took a well, it takes you a long time to get there, and you know you can taste it. You're going to take it, and you're going to cut these awful deals. In this case, allowing I believe what one member to be able to to uh, recall uh, force a vote of a new speaker uh, in the Republican caucus and a petition the House to do that. Is it one or five? No, um, one, right? I think it was one. Yeah, it's yeah. one. So this was a rule in place at one time for many years, but it was never implemented. And then, you know, they made it a majority vote and they went back to the one as part of the deal for McCarthy being speaker. And again, now we're back to the conversation about thinking the president in politics and in our lives, right? Okay, I got where I need to go now. I'll kick the can down the road and worry about something else later. Well, later just showed up. Uh, Speaker McCarthy. <laughs> exactly. Yep. Did come back to bite him for sure. Yep. Yeah. And he's not Speaker McCarthy anymore. So, uh, and there's also another political dynamic, right? They did have to pass a uh, temporary spending measure, which all of us have heard about over the last decade because we shut down four times in 10 years now. And uh, there is a political consequence, uh, as you guys can imagine, when you shut down your government uh, and people are now unable to get services, uh, reimbursements, grant payments. You know, and so forth and so forth. Plus, a whole bunch of public employees considered essential, mm-hmm. uh, not getting paid and working mm-hmm. because they're essential, like the military, um, yes. and traffic controllers. Yeah, yeah, it creates angry voters. It's ain't hard to figure out people. You don't pay your, you don't get paid. You're upset, and you're going to take it out in the next election. Exactly right. That's what you remember most when you go to the polls. Yeah, so Speaker McCarthy was caught in a really bad spot because if if he couldn't pass something, he he is very aware that you know going to next year they will not be forgiven for this, right? Yeah, and put a lot of Republican seats at risk because you know they're going to the opponents, whether it be a Republican primary or a Democratic final. I mean, this is just red meat. You just just you just go for it. I mean, why wouldn't you? Um, and just start pounding on incompetency, you know, inability to keep the government open. And look, look, these are the consequences. Can't your passport done? People are not getting paid. You can go down the list. It ain't hard. Um, so she was, he was in a bad spot. And it's very unenviable because we're going to convince eight odd members of his caucus to get to the majority, uh, find himself in a bind and was forced to forced to go to the minority party, Jeffries, the minority leader, to, to get the Democrats on board. And all but one Democratic vote in favor of it, recognizing the fact that you know, that this needed to happen. Um, and also he got embarrassed because the Senate, you know, even though it's a very slim margin for the Democrats in the Senate by one, um, they uh, were able to come up with a bipartisan proposal and uh, did get a, a supermajority vote on the Senate. So not get embarrassed by the Senate. We able to get their act together. You got a president who's a Democrat that's like, come on, we're just going to blame you. And then a member of your own party who doesn't care about the bigger party picture regarding elections next year, nor about what happens to people when you close the government. And then you got a minority party, Democrats, sitting in the wings like, we're not going to volunteer ourselves. You got to come ask us for our votes because right. you ask, you don't get. Right. No, exactly. Yeah. It's, it, it, yeah. It got very, it's it's personal. It literally is. It's personal. Oh, it's very personal right now. I mean, I tend to like treat myself as a professional and try not to get my feelings and my personal opinions because that's the work of everybody. But this guy, uber personal. And uh, no ways leave them. Well, they have two people up that are trying to lobby their uh, Republican caucus for those votes. Those eight or so people are going to try to hold everyone hostage for who knows what this time. And, um, you know, government is now paralyzed because one of the three branches uh, oh, one of the two branches of the, of, of the legislature is completely dysfunctional. Yep. And they can't not um, do anymore. And by the way, if you have a new speaker, it, all, it also shuffles down to leadership positions. And it also can result in shuffling chairman and subcommittee chairs. Yes. Yeah. And I think November 17th is the next looming shutdown. Yeah, 45 days. Yeah. So, yeah. So, I mean, we're in high stakes drama. You all saw at the beginning of the year, McCarthy took like 14 votes, you know, right into a weekend to make this work, cutting deals that result in his own downfall. Yeah. 
And uh, you'll see if these uh, new Republican candidates uh, for speaker will find themselves in a similar pitch, uh, position of a small group of folks uh, that will try to leverage that person for whatever, who knows, that can also orchestrate um, the downfall of that person's mm-hmm. job. Again, you work hard to get there and, you know, you kick the can down the road of, of you know, I'll worry about that later, but, you know, later does happen. Yeah, it's, it's you know, it's, it's disheartening, I think, for the average American to see this happening because um, <laughs> people people just want to live their lives and have the government work for them. What's actually really shocking is the constituencies of these folks at home. I mean, right. I mean, obviously, my district is significantly smaller than any congressional district. Most likely smaller, maybe not in some. No, definitely smaller. I can't think of a state that would have a smaller than me. Uh, but I mean, you pay the price at home. And what's always surprising to me is that, um, you know, per, per what we think are rational people uh, cannot make the connection that these eight folks, you know, is basically um, impeding their lives. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it ain't hard. I mean, you know, the, it was an, I love the excuses. Oh, it's fake news. The media's lying to me. I mean, the, look at the voting record. Mm-hmm. <laughs> all you have to do, it's all public information. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Keep over everything else. Just go straight to the voting record. If you think that's fake, then clearly you don't have a congressperson. <laughs> or you're you're just, you know, obliv- oblivious to reality. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, but, you know, this is where we live in today. And, uh, you know, and uh, as, you know, a guy that's in elected politics, you know, we just kind of have to navigate the best we can. I just don't know what to tell you. But, you know, I can yeah. tell you, we never should have got, we never shut the Massachusetts government in my lifetime observing this. And uh, we've always had a balanced budget, and we've had made unsavory decisions before I was even elected uh, regarding uh, cuts, um, freezes, um, on taxes. Uh, we've done. I've been furloughed twice as a as a government employee before I got elected, um, and uh, you know now we're very happy we to provide some tax relief uh, that we can budget in, and also at the same time, you know, paying. I'm not tooting my horn, obviously, paying for you know Chapter Seven increases that we voted on two years ago. Right, Edu- more education money than ever is flowing to you at home from your school systems. Oh yeah, it's I think like eight million more just in Quincy. Yeah, and I'll give you an example. C Street, you know, has been uh, uh, some horrific uh, deaths on C Street uh, between Palmer and Crenshaw Drive, and uh, I did get that money for the intersection improvements for Crenshaw Drive and C Street. Um, so that's why you have the configuration now. I found it money, and then you know, ten million dollars of state money is now going to go to the improvements from Palmer to to uh finish your drive with the state actually being their you know the contractor for the city to manage the project that's essentially what it is and uh you know hopefully between two and three years you're gonna have a brand new and actually it's gonna be much safer c street but that's 10 million dollars of state bond money right you know and uh the city will manage it and maintain it after we're done uh, but that project's been going on for what almost eight years now um, oh yeah it's gonna be eight years when it actually breaks ground um, and yeah, I'm going to tell you, people living there have some inconvenience and noise and so forth that comes with construction. But when it's done, it's it's going to be wonderful. But you know, there's there's an example of you know government work, ten million dollars of you know essentially my AKA state money, you know that we pick up the bonds on that you as a taxpayer in Quincy does not have to pick up the whole burden of it's shared shared among the whole Commonwealth, um, and also uh, helps the city on its bonding. Mm-hmm. Yep, absolutely. It's, uh, and it's you know it's that that stretch of roadway has been notorious for decades. I'm not gonna lie; it's it's such a wide lane. Uh, some of the parts are very hard to see coming on uh, to uh, from uh, the neck, you know, through the willows, and then you turn up into Adam Shore. It's kind of hard to see over those tops. Um, and uh, and then before you know it, you're doing fifty and not realize it. It's a clear road, yeah. um, and then there is no. Uh, I was thinking about it. There's actually no traffic lights from Palmer to C Street up onto CF. Oh, right. Yeah. Same thing from Palmer all the way to the very end of Palmer when you hit the projects. There is no traffic lights. That's right. So uh, as a result, you know, you actually have quite a straight shot until you get to this part of C Street where the visibility is actually a lot tougher. And then you find yourself you know, going a little fast, going to that first traffic light in Palmer. And we're also going to get like updated traffic light systems that be synchronized. And also the Quincy U of Hockey Rink, um, was it McCarthy Memorial? Yeah. It is going to have uh, its own signalization that's timed to all the other signalization. Oh, very good. So that actually improves traffic flow. You're going to be a little slow. I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. It's not like you're going to be zipping out of 
uh, the, the ice rink quickly, but you're going to zip out safely. Yes. Yeah, that's key, especially taking a left. That's very difficult. Yeah, absolutely. I'm going to get angry phone calls about backing up. But the alternative is that you get T-boat. Right. And that's not a good alternative. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, I'm going, I know I'm going to get angry calls uh, once this is done because I'm like, I can't get off fast enough. I'm like, oh, yeah, well, people got T-boat. So. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and, you know, adjustments can be made if there's a big, huge event. You can have a police detail there to help things move along better. And the city will control the timing of the lights, which is not, I'm sorry, that's not really the right word, timing, but there's a, um, it's going to use camera scanning. So, mm -hmm. you know how you have to park and drive right up to the right part of the road and sit on top of the sensor? Well, we're not doing that. It's going to be um, the modern uh, camera system that, you know, all talk to each other down the road. Yep. And then um, the city will be able to, once this is done, the city will be able to adjust those, as you pointed out, like it's a busy event, they can readjust the sensors through the whole system to ensure that traffic flows and flows safely uh, if there's like a major event on top of having a police tail if it's needed. Right, yeah, exactly, yeah. So it'll it'll be, like you say, safety is the number one goal for this. So that, that's something to look forward to for sure. Yeah, so I got to win. Some money <laughs> to the city of Quincy to, to pay for uh, a road that everyone's going to assume that it was paid by the city. Because that's what <laughs> <I'm doing>. Woo! Woo! <laughs> you know, people forget quickly uh, who, who worked to get get that done but story of my life uh they did manage to get the uh cleanup of wallaston beach in finally <laughs> after all the rain delays in the morning before the skies opened yeah. uh i was at the democratic state committee uh convention as i said and uh it was not a great showing after mid it was maybe 20 percent of attendees and they go up yeah. the night before had a dinner with sakari child the mayor of low first cambodian mayor in the country as well as Roddy Bond, my colleague in the house, and we had some great conversations what's going on uh, in his city and economic development, the changing population. Obviously, we talk politics, can't help but talk about campaigns and politics. But it was it was good to sit down with another leader in another city, uh, particularly uh, someone as a trailblazer um, in the United States, to be honest, but a trailblazer in the US, being a mayor, Cambodian mayor. And, uh, you know, I remind folks, the only places you really find Cambodians elected are in, in Low and Lynn. Most of the country, they are, they're not elected in yeah, I believe we're the only state legislature still that has Cambodians elected to the legislature. So, again, we're a pioneer in a different way. And, you know, it's a, a city that's really becoming a minority-majority city rapidly, uh, the city of Lowell. And uh, so anyway, it's a good opportunity to, you know, socialize and do a business in before the convention started next morning. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I, I do see other people sometimes. <laughs> He does venture out of his dining room, folks. <laughs> uh, it is not a, it's not a real joke in the state house. Me leaving, you know, my adventure is going to Braintree. That's like, like <laughs> trip. Uh, oh, speaking of, I, I went to the uh, the first mid-autumn festival in Braintree uh, last weekend, and uh, it was really great. Yeah, you may be uh, wondering why it's in September. <laughs> well, I found out why. It's we it, the, uh, the name August Moon really shouldn't apply. It's not in August. <laughs> That's absolutely correct. Uh, it's the harvest moon. Uh, if, yeah. if you're uh, unaware, the, the Chinese calendar is a lunar calendar, and other Asian countries uh, follow it too, Japan, Korea, Vietnam, and uh, it follows the lunar cycle, which is about 28 days, not 30 days. So it's about 13 months-ish. Uh, they actually have to calculate a leap year component, but it's a leap moon component, for lack of a better term, and it follows the phases of the moon. So under the lunar calendar, it's generally sometime between mid-September uh, to early October is when the harvest moon comes up. Um, and, uh, you know, the so-called August moon, right? Um, so, but for the sake of ease and weather, um, you know, in the U.S., we've adopted August moon in the month of August uh, for two very good reasons. One is simplicity. Let's, be, <laughs> let's just say that. The second one is weather. Uh, to do an outdoor event in August, your odds are significantly higher of no rain uh, than it is on other months, particularly the month of September and October, as we've all seen. You know, it's, it's kind of a hit and miss situation. And uh, as you know, there is, uh, in particular, a very large Chinese population uh, that's migrated to the north part of Braintree on the Quincy border. And, and Asians continue to the fastest growing demographic in Massachusetts, including in social communities. So yes, a lot of folks from Quincy there actually. Um, and, and it, was, it was a very nice time for their first uh, event. Uh, I think they had a really positive showing. 
Well, in my younger days, back when the Quincy Asian American Association, you know, I put a, b- a bunch of these events, events together on, you know, on duct tape and band-aids and super glue and, you know, yeah. on almost no money. Uh, we actually found some photos um, from 1998, I think, when I was still organizing these and, you know, they're all analog, right? They're, they're four by six photos and I was just reminiscing. One, I was much heavier, which actually was kind of funny. And the hair is still the same. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm starting to hit that age where I'm kind of like, you know, my memory starts to go a little bit. No. And it was just kind of funny looking at these old photos, like, wow, you know, things I've done in the past that, uh, not necessarily the first just to do it, but also, um, on certain things like, you know, first one to run a festival on the street. I actually mm-hmm. closed Billings Road, Billings Road twice, actually, mm-hmm. um, to put a festival together, but also, you know, the amount of time and effort went into it. And, uh, as again, we, I say, keep seeing over and over again on every uh, podcast. I mean, think only in the present, but forget there was a past that got, he, got us here. Had to start somewhere. That's right. <laughs> I'm becoming the past pretty quick, folks. Uh, <laughs> mortality setting in on tacky. Oh, if you're feeling that, then I am just like dust. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what's come up in your uh, committee that we need to know about? Well, we're actually cleaning up at this point. Um, me and my co-chair had agreed to do the vast majority of the 250 plus bills uh, before August 1st, which we did, which is why uh, you probably saw me exhausted quite a bit as we just try to rapid fire um, a whole ton of hearings, basically from the month of April straight into uh, the end of July. It should be a good idea, uh, despite the stress levels, because uh, it clears up the fall for uh, late file bills, bills are filed not timely with the legislature. We still hear those. And we did the Boston Liquor License Bill um, on Monday, which you probably read in the papers. And you're welcome to watch the video. I encourage you to watch the video, actually. It's actually an interesting uh, technique on uh, committee management uh, and hearing management. And you can see how I manage um, actually quite a controversial and more complex hearing than some of the other ones you see at mealegislature.gov. Look under events, Consumer Protection Professional License Committee. Um, and you're going to find out it's, you know, not scripted. This stuff is like, you got to figure it out on the fly, how you got to manage this. So if you want to see me try to navigate, um, an intricate situation, you're more than welcome to watch uh, how I work. Um, but again, it's not scripted. You have to figure this out as you go along. Uh, and the 16th, they're going to have a, uh, another executive, uh, another uh, hearing plus executive session to try to move out another set of maybe 25 ish, give or take bills and a little bit of negotiation to some work the staff is doing to prep, final prep on uh, amendments and adjustments to get the language correct. But we're going to try and get out the executive session out. My preference, again, is always try to do this on video, uh, make sure it's a public uh, viewing, um, and try to encourage committee members. Um, if there's more late file bills, if we get a large volume, then I'll do another hearing in November. If it's not large volume, there's no urgency, you know, we're going to come back in January. Um, in the interim, I got a chance to work on issues such as data privacy. Again, this is my third run at this. A uh, little more intricate, a lot of different moving parts regarding consumers, health, location. It's it's more engaging. It's it's taking a lot of time to understand. You know, ticket reselling is another one that we're moving forward on. Uh, we've talked about this for a long time. COVID has really changed my outlook on a lot of things, on, on how things work, um, because things changed in COVID. And some of those changes are here permanently. And some of this stuff is really like, oh, well, you know, we got to do something. We got to change how we operate. Um Still processing many of these little homework petitions, you know, that we get through for small amounts of liquor licenses. Uh, and then um, what else is there? There's a lot of stuff in committee <laughs> that I'm trying to navigate through. Um, uh, oh, auto franchising. As you heard from my last podcast, I was in uh, Columbus, Ohio, visiting car plants and learning about electric vehicles. Uh, let's see if the speaker puts me on the climate change conference committee again this spring um, because it'll be another climate climate change bill. So I got some stuff in competitive supply, energy, electric vehicle stuff, um, not on committee, but other places. And still working with trying to get some bills out of committee uh, by uh, the deadline in February, such as mandatory elder abuse reporting. Had a nice shout chair, Tom Stanley from Waltham. Not like I have a solution for this, but I mean, we do this for people with disabilities and children, you know, people that identify abuse have to report. You know, why don't we do this for elders? It's it's another role of population. OSHA requirements, private sector folks do not are not required to OSHA requirements. Public sector contracts do. Want to get some equalization there. You know, that's a conversation I'm still have ongoing with uh, Chair Cutler of 
from Pembroke. Josh Culler runs labor and workforce. Um, what else is there? I got a lot of bills floating around. My staff is helping me keep track of. So, thank goodness yeah. for your staff. Yeah, as you can tell, I juggle a lot in my head, and there's a lot of small issues that I juggle around too. Right there, there's a bill regarding changing, um, updating. Excuse me, not changing, updating um, equestrian licensing and riding. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, I'm not gonna pretend I know all about that stuff yet. But still learning as I go along. But uh, you know, there's actually an interest from the, the Mass Agricultural folks, the State Agricultural um, Agency about you know this needs to be updated. So. Okay. See, things you don't even think about. That's what you get on this podcast. Yeah, uh, I do have a lot of uh, small but complex issues that, that honestly, low probability, low probability affects you. But it's very important to somebody else in the Commonwealth. Right, right, yep. Uh, if we do have something that we have to talk about with you, how do we do that, Jackie? Oh, just call Joe. No, don't do that. <laughs> you got a problem. Call Joe first. <laughs> Uh, then I'll relay it to Tacky. <laughs> actually, yeah, quick funny story. I mean, I did actually a little podcast interview with a high school student from Texas uh, who uh, actually found us through this podcast. No kidding. And uh, I won't give away identity, but the uh, the individual uh, was very kind and a junior in high school in Texas and uh, Chinese American and uh, want to talk about someone politics is also Chinese and, you know, found us, uh, somehow found me, which is interesting and found this podcast and uh even though not a massachusetts resident really enjoyed uh listening and talking about um just what we do here which is very food flowing and hopefully educational so it's amazing to reach joe oh that's nice to hear i'm glad uh we're inspiring the next generation yeah and uh again the internet you can you know get around the world so so again if you got a problem call joe (laughs) you know tv you know where he lives um, but you know, obviously the office is open, room 42 at the state house. Um, you know, had some actually constituents from North Quincy High talk about uh substance abuse usage, particularly alcohol, uh, with me uh actually this week. And actually tomorrow's Korea Day. I have to go to the state house to celebrate as part of October uh Korean Foundation Day. But you know, events are open, so come visit uh, room 42. The the office is staffed, uh 617 722 Two three seven zero six one seven seven two two three seven zero is the phone number. Uh, Jerry Parcella's office uh, runs the phone system, so I have to wait a little while to get to my prompts. Smash a button if you don't know who to talk to, and we'll get your message. And uh, the proper people will get back to you from my office. Uh, email t a c k e y dot c h a n at m a house dot u v tacky dot chan at m a house m a house dot u v. I do receive not just your email, but the planet, as well as all the committee testimony. So I do sort through it. Uh, thankfully, I'm in a bit of a quiet period. So I'm actually catching emails faster. At Tacky Chan on X. Yeah, I'm still adjusting. Uh, is the Twitter account. We do some social media, some press releases. I work with our, our colleagues, Bruce Ayers, Speaker Mariano, and John Keenan, doing press releases there, as well as our state representative, state representative Tacky Chan Facebook. And of course, emulationofnature.gov that I mentioned earlier is the official state website. You're welcome to find your own bills or other contacts for committees and watching hearings if you really want to. And um, obviously, we have tachychan.org, which is a resource page. So, uh, you know, we do have a, quite a bit of a online presence, but also we're back in person. Excellent. Thank you so much, Jackie. Always a pleasure. Always, Joe. Catch you the next day. <laughs>